Principal Matters Podcast, Episode 134. Hi, friends. This is Will Parker, host of Principal Matters, the School Leaders Podcast. Each week, I bring you inspiring, innovative, and imaginative ideas for your own school leadership. This week, I want to talk about creating engaging school cultures with my guest, Dr. Tim Elmore. If you'd like other free resources like this one, you can check out all my posts at my website at williamdparker.com. Several years ago, I was introduced to Dr. Tim Elmore through his curriculum and online resources for leadership. And Tim is best known as an expert in researching generational trends, as well as an author of dozens of books on developing leadership. He may be best known for his Habitudes series. These are books that use images to teach leadership lessons for students from K-12 schools to university settings. And over the past couple of years, Tim and I have developed a strong working relationship. I've attended and spoken at his conferences, and I've heard him present and speak several times as well. And on a personal level, I really view him as one of my mentors. He's a few years older than I am, and we were pleased to discover that we attended the same college in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And as I've talked to Tim about his books and watched him lead others, I have come to admire him as someone who practices what he teaches. That's why I'm so excited this week to bring this interview to you, Principal Matters listeners, as an opportunity to hear us do a deep dive into how you can create more engaging cultures with your students. Let me give a little background on Tim. He's the president and founder of Growing Leaders, a best-selling author and international speaker, and he uses his knowledge to equip educators, coaches, leaders, parents, and adults in imparting practical life and leadership skills to young adults. He has spoken to more than 300,000 students and faculty and staff around the U.S. and hundreds of campuses. He's provided leadership trainings and resources for NCAA teams, professional athletic programs, government agencies, as well as corporate leadership. He has written more than 25 books, including his newest book, Marching Off the Map, Inspire Students to Navigate a Brand New World, released in 2017. For years, he worked alongside John Maxwell, who says this of Tim, quote, no one teaches leadership better than Tim Elmore, end quote. So I'm going to transition now into this conversation with Tim, and we're going to cover at least four important topics. Number one, how schools and organizations can create engaging cultures. Two, the foundational principles that work in developing engagement. Three, specific differences among generational mindsets. And four, ways you can leverage the strengths and challenges found in emerging leaders of Generation Z students. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Thanks for listening. And as we talk and at the end of the podcast, listen in for a way that you can engage with Tim at an upcoming conference this summer. Thanks. Hope you're doing well. And thanks for doing what matters. Tim Elmore, my friend, welcome to Principal Matters Podcast. I love you, Will. I love what you're up to and uh, look forward to this conversation. Well, I'm going to say on the front end of this conversation that we have the privilege in Oklahoma of hosting Tim Elmore for our COSA Summer Conference, June 2019. Tim is going to be keynoting from his book, And at the end of today's conversation, we're also going to share with you a way that you can connect with Tim later in the summer if you'd like to attend the 2019 Roundtable for Principals. But Tim, let me just begin by asking you, before we dive into the how of building engaged school cultures, 
Can you define what you mean by an engaged culture? What does it look like to have an engaged culture in schools? Yeah, that's a great question. I would say if I just described it in a word, it would be ownership. It's where we see students actually owning the culture and the development of the culture and staff and the custodians and faculty all. It doesn't mean we all think alike on everything. It just means every one of us are engaged and it shows up when maybe students are picking up trash on the parking lot or they're actually helping a a new freshman student that's just come in, those kinds of things. And I've seen it happen. And I think, Will, you have too. So you know it's possible, but far too often we've got a very fragmented group of people, you know, cliques among the students and, you know, people just not working together. So we try to um, enhance the metacognition of a student in a classroom that builds ownership of their learning. And I think it adds to the ownership of the very culture of the school. And, you know, this results in school spirit on Friday nights, you know, at a football game and all kinds of good ways. In In fact, we'll talk about that, I'm sure, in the next several minutes. But I think it's ownership. We all own the building of the culture. Mm, so let me ask you this question then. How, how do we develop leaders for engaged cultures? I've heard you have a leadership development funnel, and I'd love you to walk us through what are the stages in that funnel and how schools can apply it. So listeners, if you'll picture in your mind a funnel where you have a wide mouth at the top and then it gets smaller at the, at the bottom, I believe that when students come into your, onto your school campus, they're entering to the top of that funnel. It's everybody. It's all 1,000, 2,000, whatever you've got. And I believe we need to have activities that engage them at the entry level. So at the top of the funnel, it's the, the mouth is wide, and that's where you're inviting first-year students on your campus into activities where they begin to participate in the development of the culture. In fact, I think at that level, you invite them into very basic leadership development activities. Maybe it's meetings, maybe it's an assembly, but you begin to introduce the idea of what it means to be a leader and that every one of us can be leaders. Now, let me hasten to add, that doesn't mean we're all going to be the chairman of the board or the CEO or the the president of some organization. We believe leadership has less to do with a position and more to do with a disposition. It's a way of looking at life and seeing the big picture and owning the culture again. So we believe that top of the funnel, the best way to describe it is these are attraction level events, uh, activities and events that attract a student into, in a very fun way, by the way. In fact, let's say it's an assembly. These students come in and and, uh, you're having some very, very fun assembly that everybody would be engaged with. And then you begin to wrestle with the topic of leadership. At the end of that, someone steps up and says, now, if you resonated with this, it might not be for everybody, but if you resonate with this, we want to invite you to take another step. And that second step moves them into a deeper level of the funnel. And that would be involvement level activities or events. Now, involvement level would be a little bit deeper, a little bit deeper level of commitment. Uh, Now, there might be homework involved. There might be preparation involved. But these are activities that would build community. So at the assembly, you may not say any community is being developed, really, except we're all having a good time. But at the involvement level, now students perhaps are getting in a smaller group. Maybe it's a specific demographic. Maybe it's athletes. Maybe it's artists. It could be a number of things. But when we did this in San Diego, it was, it was involvement level activities that challenged them to really build relationships. And that was the glue that caused them to stick, not just stick in school. Hopefully they'll stay in school to graduate, but, but really to feel like this is not just your school, this is my school. 
In those involvement level events, you do the same thing you did at the attraction level. You're saying, students, if you're resonating with what we're doing here, I want to challenge you to go deeper in this journey. And that's where you uh, beckon them to the third level of the funnel, and that's service level. Now you're inviting students not to just be a part of a small group, let's say, of, of some sort, a demographic group, but now you're challenging them to get up off their bottoms and do something, to serve in some way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I would suggest you have a number of service opportunities available on your campus. Uh, and by the way, it's not leadership yet. It's serving in some way. It could be on the campus or in the community. Uh, we have some campuses, Will, in, in Gwinnett County and in the metro Atlanta area where I live that have volumes of service level opportunities. And some of them are student driven. They were that students came up with them. So this is where metacognition can be practiced very, very well, where it's not something the adults came up with and passed on to the students. It's actually the students came up with it. Of course, at the service level events, these, this is another opportunity to beckon them to a deeper level. And that next level that you challenge them to take is as actually a leadership, it's a leadership level event. Now, these are leadership opportunities where you not only serve on a team, you might lead that service team. So again, you have volumes of, of opportunities, hopefully. Most schools that practice this funnel actually end up coming up with new leadership opportunities because they end up having more leaders than they have positions for. We actually ran into this problem in San Diego. We had more student leaders than we had places for them to serve. And I thought to myself one day, what a great problem to have. (laughs) So these projects are going on, these leadership projects are going on. And then the final level of funnel, and and I'll stop and let you volley back, Will, is multiplication level. Now, remember, the base of the funnel, that little mouth at the bottom, is much smaller than the mouth at the top. So not every student comes out, and certainly not all out together, if you will, at multiplication level. But the students that make it all the way down to level five, the multiplication level, these would be experiences you've created where these students are probably upper, well, they're for sure upperclassmen, maybe seniors in high school, let's say, and they are leaders of leaders. They would be leaders that are very mature, emotionally mature, that are on top of things academically, that have lots of hearts there. They're involved in the campus, and they are actually leading the leaders of the student groups. They would host meetings. They would keep them equipped, keep them encouraged. And um, these are usually few. Uh, You might have just maybe six, maybe half a dozen, maybe a dozen at the most of these leaders of leaders, but they're the multipliers that make sure that this leadership funnel keeps moving and keeps growing and keeps progressing along the way. So I know that was kind of wax eloquent there, but that would be our leadership funnel. And I believe the last thing I'd say, Will, is we need to make sure we have opportunities at every level for every level of commitment in a student. Obviously, there's going to be some students that couldn't care less. They are just there to do time and and get by in school. But you're beckoning all students all the time to the next level of the funnel and providing preparation events at each level for them to move to the next level of, fun- of the funnel. So that's, that's how we've seen it work. That's one way we've seen it work. That's just one visual, one diagram. But we felt like that's been, been really, really uh, helpful for students today. Well, that's powerful, Tim. And I'm just going to repeat those levels of that funnel so that listeners can have a, a picture of that again. So a key way to build engaged cultures in your school is to look at this funnel. Um, step one, you said, is attraction. 
Step two, yep. involvement. Step three, service. Step four, leadership. And step five, multiplication. And I know that you've seen that in your work, Tim, with college-age students. I know you've seen that in the work that you do. You've grown your own organization, I think, following a lot of those same practices. But you've also been able to speak specifically to educators who are working with this emerging generation. Because sometimes with each generation, there's differences that new generations have from previous generations. And one of the core components of your process is involving the next generation. So talk to us for just a minute about what are some of the pros and cons of Generation Z. I know, I know you've spent a lot of time researching Generation Z. It's what your new book is about. And why do you believe that Generation Z can actually help create a leadership culture? Yeah, great question, Will. I would say a couple of things real quick. One, in a global survey on Generation Z students uh, put on by Universum, and they're based in Europe, this global survey discovered that Generation Z has a keener interest in leadership than the previous three generations of students. Mm-hmm. So if you were to do a lag time study on, on students, you know, dating back decades, you would find there's a greater interest in leadership than the baby boomers, the Gen Xers, and the millennials. Now, I'm not sure if that's because Generation Z across the world looks around them right now and says, oh my gosh, we got a lot of problems. We need leaders. Or they might look at current leaders and say, I don't know if this generation of leaders, i.e. my generation, is doing a very good job. But in any case, there was a greater sense of of interest in leadership. Now, let me hasten to add, you you might predict this, listeners. When they say leader, they mean a, a servant leader. They mean someone that's, that's about empowerment and service, not power trips and, and control and authority. In fact, let me just give you a great example. Earlier this year, the tragic Parkland High School shooting took place in Florida. Very sad event. But we all remember in March, those students drove a March for Our Lives that included about 400,000, I think I remember, uh, high school students from across the country on different cities and locations marching on Washington, marching in Florida. The point was that was a student-driven initiative. Mm -hmm. And this is very typical. Activism is one of the favorite words of Gen Z. Whether or not you think they truly are activists or slacktivists, Gen Z really sees themselves as, we're going to do something here. We don't need adults to get permission. We've got access to information on our portable device. Um, you know, you know what I'm saying. They don't need a publisher to, to publish a book. They don't need a record label to to publish the song. Uh, just ask Justin Bieber on that one. You know, so this is this is a generation that feels very, very much like we can do this on our own. In fact, let me share one more thought that might be fun to talk about. Will, when I think about the different generations as they come of age, and I think about their attitude toward authority, I go way back to my dad's generation, my mom and dad's generation. Their attitude toward authority was respect authority. That was way back in the Great Depression. For the baby boomers, it was replace authority. We were kind of large and in charge back in the 60s and 70s. For Gen X, it was endure authority. It was a little more jaded generation back then, a little more, you know, but a little more cynical. For millennials, it was choose authority. So they were picking and choosing. Life is a cafeteria for them. They were picking and choosing the authority. I think for Gen Z, if they were honest with us, they might say, not sure I need authority. 
Now, I don't mean that literally. They, they have parents, so they have teachers, but they feel very, very empowered that I've got a way of doing this that you adults don't even understand. I'll do it my way. I'm going to hack my list and figure it out and come up with my way of doing it. So all this, I think, can be channeled in a good direction, and they can become leaders if we'll give them, good, build in some, uh, into them the right qualities, the right virtues that they're going to need. But I'm very, very fascinated and very excited about the potential of channeling that energy uh, in a good direction. That's great. Tim, what, what would you say are some of the top leadership qualities that you would be focusing on then in your students to help them become leaders? So, Will, you're familiar with Habitudes. Habitudes is curriculum, for lack of a better word, but it's content that fosters conversations about these things. Uh, for listeners, for you listeners, habitudes, if you've not heard of them, are simply images that form leadership habits and attitudes. Uh, they're conversation starters, they're experience builders. But will every one of the leadership habitudes falls under one of four umbrellas, if you will? So this is essentially the answer to your question. I think as I build student leaders, as we think about building the emerging generation into quality, lasting leaders, they would be under these four categories. Number one is character. I believe students need to be thinking that I got to lead myself before I lead anybody else. And that's essentially what character is to me. When the winds of adversity are blowing, I can stand strong and, and stand by those core values that I have developed and I'm leading me. Okay, so character. Number two is perspective. I believe Character is good, but character necessarily doesn't take me outside of my own life. It just makes sure that I'm, I'm a good citizen, good place to start. But perspective now enables the leader to see outside of myself. I'm perhaps envisioning a better world for a specific population. So perspective is huge. So we have a number of principles we teach on the mind of a leader, how leaders think. When I was getting my doctoral degree, I remember one of my profs saying something to me and I've, I've never forgotten it. He simply said, the primary difference between a follower and a leader is perspective. The primary difference between a leader and an effective leader is better perspective. I love that. So it's really the, the real change between leaders and followers. Both can have character, but perspective begins to differentiate a person who's merely saying, I'm just, I'm just following along you know, uh, other people in my life, and I'm beginning to think for myself. That's number two. The third characteristic or third umbrella of leadership is courage. I don't think you can truly be a leader, a genuine leader, unless you have developed the muscle of courage. Managers are people that do things efficiently. They keep things going. Leaders are doing things effectively. They are starting new things. They're moving into new territory. And so we believe it's essential that we begin to develop Generation Z students with courage. One of the reasons I say that is, although they feel very empowered, Will, they are a very risk-averse generation of students. Mm -hmm. They have FOMO, fear of missing out, and they have FOMU, F-O-M-U, fear of messing up, probably instilled by both teachers and parents unwittingly. But this generation wants to be entrepreneurs but they're very, very afraid of failing. Sometimes they won't even try something if they think they can't guarantee success. So that's a whole other conversation, but for another time, perhaps. But we, we believe we've got to build courage. Okay, number four. So it's character. That makes me a good leader of myself. Perspective. Now I'm envisioning something on the outside. 
courage. Now I'm getting up off my bottom and doing something about that vision I see on the outside. But with only character, perspective, and courage, I'm only an entrepreneur. I'm not a leader. I'm not taking anybody with me necessarily yet. So the final of the four big umbrellas or four categories, if you will, is the word favor. Favor is the people component of leadership. It enables me to be attractive and to bring others into a cause, to broker their talent to be used for the cause. By the way, this is good for administrators too. I hope every administrator is building their own character and perspective and courage and favor. Too many principals have not yet developed the people skills and the um, emotional intelligence perhaps that would, that would make them really effective leaders. So this is that. It's the people skills, it's the emotional intelligence, the social intelligence that's needed to really make a leader attractive and effective at brokering the talents of a team to get the job done. So that was kind of a long answer to a short question, but that's, that's where all these habitudes would fit under. And those are the four big categories I go after when I build a young, a young leader. Tim, one of my favorite things that I've heard you say is how important it is to understand that leadership principles are both timeless and timely. And so I'm really glad that you you touched on those four points under that umbrella, not just for emerging leaders, but for present leaders too. And Principal Matters listeners, I know that you are taking notes like I am about the importance of your own character, your own perspective, your own courage. But then that fourth category, favor, are you able to attract others to the vision that you have. And and Tim, I think that's a really important aspect that we often forget when we're talking about leadership. And um, did you have any other thoughts on that? Because I had a follow-up question that I wanted to ask you about working with with the next generation on on that concept. Well, the only other thing I'd say, Will, is you and I both know, and you more than me because of what you do, but we both know principles that have developed that favor component so well that teachers want to follow them wherever they go. (laughs) If they go to another school or another district, they go, can I go with you? And I'm not saying that's always healthy. I am saying, though, that's an attractive leader. When people are saying, I want to get under your leadership, you've done something right. So um, I do want to encourage listeners. I know we're talking about kids today and Gen Z, but I am still on the learning journey myself. I'm still building these very elements, I hope, into my life that make me attractive to potential team members looking at growing leaders right now. So I'll stop there. Tim, I want to give you an opportunity to talk a little bit more about leading this next generation. What changes do you think maybe we should be considering in our own practices that would help us better lead this new generation? That is a fabulous question. I I have a handful that might be helpful for listeners to, to think through. Real quick, Generation Z has grown up over the last, let's say, 18 years, and they've been in a little bit different world than the millennials were in the 80s and 90s uh, when they were kids. So it's been a little bit harder, a little bit darker. Um, Certainly lots of great things have happened, but think about it. There's been two economic downturns since 2001. There's been corporate scandals. Uh, There's been terrorism at a whole nother level, starting with September 11, 2001. And since that time, 26,000 other terrorist attacks around the world. Right now, we're seeing a polarization politically in our country. So Gen Z is growing up in a little bit darker time. So let me give you some of the shifts that we're seeing, some good, some not so good, that might be great for leaders to know. Number one, we're seeing that confidence is often morphing into caution. So Gen Z students might have an older brother or sister that was a millennial 
that thought they would just go to college and get a great job. And that great job didn't open up right away after college. And so they're a little more cautious about, about being over idealistic or over optimistic about, you know, how easy life will be once I, once I get done with school. I may not be the vice president when I'm 26 with a car. You know what I'm talking about. Confidence is morphing into caution. Number two, spending money is morphing into saving money. This is very interesting, probably because of the economic times we've experienced over the last certainly 10 years in 2008, they realized, man, I got I to gotta save money. I don't want to go into debt like my uncle did or my big brother did when they were you know, racking up $28,000 debt at college. So they're a little bit better at saving money, according to the data. Uh, number three, attacking an education is morphing into hacking one. Now, let me explain what I mean by this one. Whereas the millennials more often bought into what mom and dad said, and what mom and dad said was, just go to college and you'll get a great job. And like I mentioned before, they went to college and that great job maybe didn't open up right away. In fact, they have that huge debt. They're now back home living with mom and dad and they're a barista at Starbucks, which they could have done prior to college. Gen Z's going, I'm not going to let that happen to me. So their post-secondary experience might be not a four-year liberal arts university. It might be, you know, I'm hacking my way through this. I might take a couple of MOOCs here, a massive online open course, get an internship there, get a mentor over here, take a class over there. And my resume might be a litany of hodgepodge items that I show to an employer so he or she can hire me for a gig. Um, It's called the gig economy now. I'm going to do a gig here for a year and a half, and then I'll move over here for a gig for another year and a gig there for two years. I might have five jobs in my 20s. And I'm not saying every Generation Z graduate will look that way, but it will look more that way than it has in previous generations. Um, Somebody once said the corporate ladder has moved to the corporate lily pad. Uh, So like frogs hopping from lily pad to lily pad, um, they get bored quick and they may be hopping around. They're hacking their career path. Number four, idealism is morphing into pragmatism. Now, this is not all bad. I think pragmatism is actually very helpful in young adults. But um, what saddens me is I think there should be some idealism, idealism in young people. Hasn't that always been what's changed the world down through history is because they're young enough to think maybe I could change the world and, and they have the energy to go try it. So um, we may need to work on giving them hope on that one. Number five, consuming media is morphing into creating media. Now, let me explain this one. Whereas a millennial teenager might have come home from school and watched YouTube videos for three hours. Generation Z is saying, I want to create those videos. So they want to create the media. And by the way, faculty and educators need to take advantage of this. They want to make the video. They want to make the stuff. They want to be the entrepreneur. Even if they're not good at it, video seems to be something they're pretty good at and they're not afraid of failing at. So that's number five. Number six, viral posts are morphing into vanishing posts. I bet everyone listening has seen this one. So we all know when the millennials were growing up, what viral meant. Everybody wanted to go viral. You know, 10,000 people saw this, you know, this video. Generation Z has watched what's happened to that sometimes, and uh, they've learned from it. So let's go to a scenario. Let's say a Generation Z teenager has an older brother or sister who went to college, and they went to that party on Friday night and got crunk, crazy drunk, and then posted pictures on Instagram of that party. Well... That student forgot they had a job interview on Monday morning, and that future employer could see those pictures and those posts. And they said, ah, 
don't think I want to hire you. I don't think you're the kind of person we want here. So Gen Z's going, well, I'm still going to go to the party. I'm still going to post, but it's going to be on Snapchat where it will go away and nobody will see what I posted if I don't want them to. So they're, they're very savvy, very savvy bunch of students in that way. Um, number seven, I think feeling special is morphing into feeling savvy. So whereas the millennials more or less felt very special, we, <laughs> we raised them, giving them trophies just for showing up on the soccer team and told them they were awesome for putting the fork in the dishwasher. Uh, I'm, I'm kidding here, but we did do that probably over too much. Uh, Generation Z is feeling a little more savvy than special. They're realizing life is a little harder than uh, the millennials thought it was. And so we're savvy to what we need to do to make it work for us. Uh, Two more. Number one, number eight, text messages are morphing into iconic messages. Now, what I mean by this one is we're messaging with fewer words and more icons and images and visuals and emojis and bitmojis and stickers um, I bet everybody listening would say, yep, I see that now. Uh, we're sending video and pictures all the time. I'm saying we need to leverage the power of an image better in the classroom. Um, images are the native tongue of Generation Z. I believe images are the language of the 21st century, not words. Now, words are important, but in fact, I like words quite a, quite, quite a bit. But I think we need to leverage the power of the metaphor. That's what we've tried to do with habitudes. And then one more, this is a little bit of a sad one. Anticipation is morphing into anxiety. So they do anticipate the future. They know it's coming, but they're anxious. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, the levels of, of stress, anxiety, and depression, mental health issues in general, are higher for Generation Z than any uh, generation of students we've ever measured. Uh, the American Psychological Association, the APA, released a statement that just makes me sad. They said the average teenager in America today experiences the same level of anxiety as a psychiatric patient did in the 1950s. I just believe life is not supposed to be that way. So those are some of the pros and cons, some of the shifts that Generation Z brings. Wow. And Tim, your content is so helpful because you spend a lot of time looking at what's happening with our current generation, but then also how can we use those realities to our advantage? And you've touched on that quite a bit in terms of with each of those categories, you know, how do we dive deeper uh, into understanding yeah. students? And so um, I know we're, we're limited as we're wrapping up this conversation, but how can listeners dive deeper into this topic? I know they can connect with you, your books and online There's also some opportunities where we could connect them with you through some of the upcoming conferences. But what are some ways if listeners want to dive deeper into this topic to get a better understanding of how these generational differences affect the way they lead today's youth? Okay. Yeah. Thank you for asking that. Yeah. We're not hard to find. First of all, our website has so many things on it, many free things, but it's growingleaders.com. Growingleaders.com. Com. And in fact, at the top on the homepage, you'll see a tab for blogs. I blog three times a week. Uh, Will, you and I have, have exchanged blogs before with each other. It's just, that's one way to continue it if you'd like some research-based articles that we have put out. But then really the, the event that I would love to encourage administrators to consider being a part of, and on June 20 and 21 of 2019, we have a roundtable for principals coming up. And we're very, very excited about because we are talking about this idea of building an engaged school culture. And we've decided to bring in the best organizations in the world 
for this roundtable. So it's limited seating. We're just going to have 200 people for lots of conversation. We're, but we're bringing in execs from Southwestern Airlines because they have such an incredible culture. Uh, we have an exec, uh, actually the president of Coca-Cola Bottling Company, coming in to talk about their culture, what they've done to build it. We have a, a 38-year consultant at Disney World, Walt Disney World, talking about how Disney has done the culture thing. We got Corey Epler coming in for the Department of Education in Nebraska. They've d- done some great thing with culture up in Nebraska. So if you would like to be a part of this roundtable, you can go to growingleaders.com, check on the event tab up top on the homepage, and uh, you will see the roundtable for principals pop up there. We would love to have you come if you'd like to and be a part of the conversation. I think it's going to be extraordinary. Well, Tim, I also want to just do a quick shout out because I was talking to some of your team before today's uh, recording. And Principal Matters listeners, if you want to go to growingleaders.com slash matters growingleaders.com slash matters, Tim's team is going to be offering a, they're going to be doing a drawing for a free registration for that event. And so if, you, if you're listening to this episode, write down that URL or save this for later when you're not driving, but take a look at growingleaders.com slash matters and put your name in to sign up if you're interested in a registration for that event. For my Oklahoma listeners, I just want to remind you that COSA is going to be hosting Tim in the Oklahoma City area June 5th of 2019. We are so excited about having him come and sharing directly with our members about his book, Marching Off the Map. Tim, I know that you are busy training, traveling, and growing leaders across, uh, not just here in the continental U.S., but you're overseas as well. Thank you so much for giving us this time I appreciate so much what you're doing. Thank you for helping enrich leaders because you've certainly enriched my leadership and Principal Matters. Thank you guys for listening to today's conversation because what you do matters. Tim, I appreciate you. We'll talk to you soon. Well, thank you for letting me uh, be a part of that.